first of all, Lord, that you would relieve from us the burdens that we've brought in from the world. Lord God, that you would touch our hearts and you would, Lord, you would give us peace this morning. Lord, a peace that we can, that we can set, Lord, and at the foot of your throne, Lord God, and hear your words, Lord, and that our lives could be changed, Lord. Father, I know these at the altar are coming to you, Lord, and, and Lord, they they are coming with such deep sorrows, Lord, sorrows of, of lives that have been lost, Lord God. Lord, they're, they're coming to you, Father, and they're crying out to you for your peace and your mercy. Lord God, touch them today. Bless them today, Lord. Lord, let them see through this valley they are going through, Lord God, that there is a great light at the end, Lord, and it is Your presence, Lord God, as You are walking with them through this valley, Lord, as You're lighting the path for them, Lord God. Oh, Father. And Lord, be with us. Lord, be with us as we are here, Father. Lord, not to... Fill a checkbox on our sheet of we went to church this week, Lord. But we're here, Father, to, to get in front of you, Lord God. We are here to draw near to you, Father, to, to praise you and to glorify you. And Lord, we are here that you may touch us and you may fill us once again, Lord. That you would recharge us for this week, Lord God. Oh, Lord. Lord, I pray so hard, Lord, for the people who are lost. Lord, there may be some here this morning, but Lord, we know there's plenty out here in the city of Dalhart, Lord, that do not know You. Lord God, they're trying to fill a, a, a spot in their heart, Lord, a need that they have, this, this craving that they have, Lord. They're trying to fill it with everything in this world, Lord, and You are the only thing that can satisfy that need. Oh, Father, open their eyes today that they would see Your glory, that they would see Your loving arms outstretched for them to lift them up. Oh, Lord, bless us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm kind of excited this morning about this message. I've been working on this series. We're starting a new series today, and this new series is called The Return of Christ. Amen. And we're going to spend the next several weeks looking at what the Scripture says about His return. We're not going to speculate. I'm not going to set a date and a time for you. 
Because when Jesus says he doesn't know, I'm not going to try and pretend to know more than he does. But we are going to look at what the Scripture says about His return and what we should look for and how we should be living our lives in preparation for that. And we're going to, we're going to be using uh, the, the two letters that Paul wrote in uh, Thessalonians. That's way towards the back part of the, of the New Testament in case you're not sure. And it's... Uh, and the church in Thessalonians is really a neat story because see, Paul had, had went there and he had planted a church a few years before he wrote these letters. You know, and it's like it was a new start church and he had went and he had spent a few months with them and got them going and, and he had left them to go on his missionary journey and they have been going for the last few years on their own. And you know, most new starts today fail. Paul's new starts didn't fail. See, Paul's new start, after just a few years, their enthusiasm for Jesus Christ was so great that all over the known world, people were talking about them. And they weren't talking about, hey, that bunch of hypocrites over there. They were talking about those people are on fire for Jesus Christ. Their lives have been turned around. They have done... It's unbelievable what has happened to these people in this church. And so Paul's writing them this letter. It's a letter of encouragement because when a church is really on fire for Jesus, guess what? You get put in the crosshairs of the world. If you're just mediocre going with the flow, the world leaves you alone. They didn't know you exist. But when you get on fire for God, when you're out there making a difference in the world, when people are talking about you all over the place, about, about how excited it is to, be, to worship Jesus at that church, suddenly the whole world's looking at you and they're trying to find any little excuse to point out about you. You know, the Scripture says, though, if you're being persecuted for Jesus Christ, count it pure joy. Amen. Stand up and shout and say, Thank you, Lord, that I am worthy to be persecuted for you. That's the church that Paul's writing to. And, and I love it because when he writes to them in the very intro to his letter, he says they are chosen by God. Chosen by God. Did you know that? Linda, you're chosen by God. Isn't that wonderful to know? You are chosen by God. You know, there was a, I was reading and there was this one, uh, uh, this one uh, uh, pastor, he didn't give a name, but he said that the doorway to salvation on this side of it, for those seeking salvation, the door says, for, for whosoever will come. In other words, everyone's invited. But once you've accepted Jesus and you step through the door, if you look back on that side of the door, it says, chosen by God. Amen. So, in the first few verses of this letter, Paul lists some characteristics of people who have been chosen by God. Now, I know a lot of people always, they ask that question, I have even been, been at, the, at the deathbed of people where they are, are just hours from death and, they're, and they're, they're praying and they say, Pastor, how do I know for sure? 
So see, having doubts is not... It, it's not something unusual. It's not something God locks the door on and says, oh, you had a doubt, you don't get in. Having doubts is normal. John the Baptist had doubts. Even when he was in his mother's womb, he jumped at the presence of Jesus, knowing he was the Savior. Even when he was baptizing and Jesus walked up, John stops everything he's doing and says, Behold the Lamb of God. But when John was in prison and his death was nearing, he sent his disciples out and says, Go and ask and make sure, are you the one? Even John the Baptist had doubts. Having doubts is not a big issue. It's a normal thing to have doubts. So you want to know, well, how do I know if I'm chosen by God? How do I know if I've been saved? How do I know for sure? Well, we're going to look at that this morning. And hopefully, by the time you leave here today, if nothing else is answered in your mind, you'll at least understand what the characteristics are of someone who has been chosen by God, or to put it in, in a more common phrase, someone who has been saved by Jesus Christ. Okay? So, there's a, the very first thing, and these are things that, that, uh, that if you have been chosen, and you know it, then your life will surely show it. I knew I could work that in somehow. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the, the first thing that, that demonstrates you've been chosen by God is your faith. Okay? Look, it reads in verses 3 and 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be His own people. Your faith. How do you know? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you put your faith in the work He did on the cross and, and have come to the, that logical conclusion in your mind that I can't do any more than what He's already done? He has sacrificed on the cross, paid it all. You know, He didn't make a down payment on the cross. You know, He's not buying us out over time. When He died on that cross, He paid in full. All of our debt. He bought us out of slavery. He bought us out of sin. He, he took us and he, he, His blood washes us clean and we are now children of God because of Him. We have been chosen because we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. Pretty simple. The... Um, <clears throat> But see, it doesn't stop there. See, if you have chosen to follow Jesus, if you have chosen to put your faith in, in His work on the cross, the next thing that shows that, you have, that you're chosen by God is your conduct changes. And we're not talking about, well, you've got to work your way into heaven because Jesus already, already paved that road. It's done. But you know what it means to be a disciple? It means that you're following someone. 
that you, you want to be like someone. The people who followed Jesus when He walked this earth, they tried to imitate Him in everything. They dressed like Him. They would eat like Him. They would, they would even try to talk like Him. I, would, I keep imagining if He had a British accent, everybody would be speaking with a British accent because they want to be like Jesus. <laughs> you know, the, you know, if you ever know someone that if they don't speak a language, I think they can have a little accent on that language that people understand them better. Doesn't work, guys. I've tried. I've tried to speak kind of with a little Spanish. Doesn't work. Just makes it harder to understand me. The, the, but to be a disciple of Jesus was to try and imitate Jesus in everything he did and everything he said. To try and imitate him and how he treated people and how he helped people and how he, he loved people and how he accepted people and he forgave people. To be a disciple of Jesus means that you want to be like Jesus. You know, some people say, well, well, pastor, they, they, people just don't do that these days. Yeah, they do. Look at all the fads that go around. We're talking ugly fads. People walking around with their pants hanging down their knees. It's not attractive. It sure isn't efficient. But why do people do it? Because they saw someone else do it that they, they think, man, they're cool. I want to be like them. Big, ugly sunshades. I really thought in the 70s when that fad went out, I was thinking, God, please don't let those come back. They came back. <laughs> Big, ugly sunshades. No. I don't think that's come back yet, has it? <laughs> but we today... We see something, we see someone that we look up to doing something, dressing a certain way, speaking a certain way, and the next thing you know, we're trying to imitate them. Anyone, everybody here know what Comic-Con is? That's where everyone gets to dress up like their little superhero or their, their sci-fi guy, and they all go there and they pretend to be that person. Hey, people do it today. Just like they did when Jesus was around. People saw Jesus and they said, Hey, I like what this guy has to say. I believe he's who the prophet said he would be. I believe he's the Messiah. I am going to follow him. I'm going to be like him. I'm going to act like him. I'm going to dress like him. I'm going to be such, such, so close to him that people won't even tell us apart. That's what being a disciple of Jesus is today too. Yeah, we're not all going to put on the robe and walk around in sandals and, and all, but what we are going to do is we're going to love people unconditionally. We're going to forgive people unconditionally. We're going to be graceful to people unconditionally. We're going to accept people unconditionally. We're not going to judge people. We're going to imitate Jesus. You know, He didn't judge a single person when He was here on earth. His job as judge starts when he comes back. Right now, he's our path to salvation. When he comes back, he becomes a judge. He's a much nicer guy now than he will be then. He's the Lamb of God right now. When he comes back, he's the Lion of Judah. Our conduct. Verse 6 says that, So you receive the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. 
In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. See, when they accepted the, the, the gospel, the, the community that was there in, in uh, Thelicinacia was, uh, was a, uh, a pagan place. It was a place where when you went to temple, you didn't go to worship. You went to get a temple prostitute. You went and you you had all this, and it was not unusual to hey this this uh, I don't like this particular kid. This take him to the temple and sacrifice him because he's a pain. You know, people did that. They sacrificed their children to false gods. They they uh, thought that worshiping their god meant to go and and do whatever made you happy. Does that sound like the uh, the type of religion the world has? Hey, whatever makes you happy. Go and do it. You want to sacrifice your babies? Go for it. It's legal. The government will even pay for it. You, you think that, you think, hey, I'm tired of women. I want to go get a guy now. That's fine now. It's legal. That's the world's religion. Whatever you want is okay. Oh, God's religion is a little different. See, God's religion says, hey, it's not about what you want. It's about what the people around you need. It's not about your pleasure. It's about satisfying them. It's, it's not about your selfish desires. It's about your selfless sacrifice for others. See, God's religion's a little different than man's. Because man's all about us. God's is all about others. See, we need to keep that in mind. Our conduct has to change when we become disciples of Christ because as disciples of Christ, we are making a commitment to be like Him. It's that simple. Hey, and and being, being super saint doesn't get you any further up in line getting into heaven. But loving Jesus Christ with all your heart puts you right up front. Too many people today think that it's all about what I do. How much I give. How much I, I uh, whatever, it's me, me, me. Hey, and I love these people that write these big multi-million dollar checks to charities. I mean, God bless them. But have you ever seen anyone give that kind of money to charity without cameras and, and television crews around to make sure everybody gets it on there? <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> Look what I just did. Because it's not about helping others to them, it's all about me. I want to make sure everyone knows what a good guy I am. That's not the conduct that we are looking at because when we start to follow Jesus, that means we leave the ways of the world to follow the ways of Christ. So if you're still trying to follow the ways of the world, you haven't got off that road yet. You need to take the very next exit that gets off of that road and get on the road that leads to Christ. Because that's the only way you're going to see heaven. That's the only way you're going to hear Jesus say those wonderful words, welcome, good and faithful servant. Now, once our faith has been established by accepting Christ our Savior and is following Him, our lives have been changed as, as we start to imitate Him in our day-to-day -day walk, then the very next thing that comes in line is our testimony. You know, a lot of people think, oh, well, testimony means i got to get up and tell people about that day I got saved. No. 
testimony. What did you do this morning? That's your testimony. What, what did you do to help someone in need this week? That's your testimony. What, what did you do that may have been inconvenient to you, but it helped someone else? And no one else knows about it but you. That's your testimony. See, our testimony, part of it is for one another to see, but a lot of our testimony is what God sees that no one else sees. Our testimony. It says in verse 7 and 8, As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For whoever, for wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God and we don't have to tell them about it. Oh, you see, when a group gets on fire for God, the word spreads. And it gets where you go somewhere, you don't have to stop and tell the people, oh, hey, that church in Dalhart, because people will be telling you, hey, you know what that church in Dalhart did? Yeah. See, that's what happens when you're on fire for God. You can't outrun God's word. And it will always be there to greet you, always there to tell about you. That's your testimony. It's not about standing up in front of a bunch of Christians and telling them how, how God saved you. That's great. We all should have that testimony. But our testimony is how we live our lives every day. How we treat people every day. That's our testimony. You know, so many churches today, their, their testimony, what people say about them is not good. And it's not good because the people in that particular group are not living according to Christ. They're still living in their selfish ways. And when you live in your selfish ways, your testimony isn't what, how, uh, how much God has done to you. Then your testimony is look at how that church is just out for itself. Our testimony is so important. I came across this story that just brings this testimony part up so well. It's a little long. I'm going to read it to you. It's out of the book that Bill Hybels wrote called The uh, Contagious, Contagious Christian. Some of you may have read that. It says, Authentic Christian faith is contagious. God uses contagious believers to infect other folks with the profound truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. Retired U.S. Marine Corps Commandant Charles Krulak tells of a time when he was a non-believer, first came in contact with a contagious believer. In a speech delivered two years ago, General Krulak said, 35 years ago, I was a young second lieutenant, just graduated from the Naval Academy. I went down to Quantico, Virginia, home with a, a basic training uh, where officers learn about honor, courage, and commitment. I shared a room with another young officer named John Listerman. John was a wonderful human. He excluded goodness. John was a Christian. That meant nothing to me other than, gee, what a nice guy. I guess this Christian stuff must be pretty good. Upon graduating from basic, John and I went to Camp Pendleton, California, where we joined the same battalion preparing to go to Vietnam. And I saw another side of John Listerman. He was a tremendous leader, aggressive and technically proficient. He was a Marine's Marine. On December morning in 1965, 
John and I went to war. John Listerman's war lasted one day. We were on patrol, moving down a trail through the jungle. We came around a corner in that trail, and we ran into an ambush. John took the first round, a 50-cal round, right in his kneecap. As his kneecap burst, the crack was so loud it sounded like a mortar exploding. It threw him up in the air. As he dropped, a second round hit him right below his heart and exited out his side. I was wounded also, but nowhere near as badly. I saw John about 30 meters away on his back, his leg blown off. I crawled up to him. I wanted to say, are you okay? Can I do anything? But before I could get that out, he, uh, <clears throat> before I could do that, his head turned to me and he said, how are you doing, Chucker? Are you okay? I said, John, I'm okay. He said, are my men safe? I said, John, your people are safe. At that point, he turned his head and looked to the sky and repeated over and over, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for caring for my people. Thank you for caring for me. I was dumbfounded. John Listerman and Charles Krulak were evacuated. General Krulak later became a Christian. John Listerman was a contagious leader. He infected his friend Charles Krulak with the love of Jesus Christ. Nearly 40 years later, General Krulak still tells that story about his contagious friend. <clears throat> Bill Hybels says, God wants us to become contagious believers who will first catch his love and then urgently and infectiously offer it to all who are willing to consider it. This is his primary plan. The one Jesus modeled powerfully to spread God's grace and truth person to person until there's an academic, epidemic of changed lives around the world. That's what being a contagious Christian is. Your life. Not pounding people over the head with the Bible. Your life. How you treat people. How you love people. How you sacrifice for people. That is being a contagious Christian. Because when you're around someone like that and you're not a Christian, it does make you wonder, what does this person know that I don't? What does this person have that I don't? We are to be contagious Christians. This infectious spirit is a mark of those chosen by God. And that leads us to one final thing that Paul says defines those chosen by God. Our expectancy. It says in verses 9 and 10, For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to coming, <clears throat> the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. <clears throat> some of you are, have military backgrounds. Some of you know people who have. When someone in the military is deployed and they're in a war zone, the family left back home, they're waiting to hear any word they can about their loved one. They check emails. 
They check instant messaging. They check phone messages. They check everywhere just to hear something to know that, that their loved one's okay and when they're coming home. That is the type of expectancy we should have for Jesus coming back. We should be checking every day, every source that we can to see, to see when's He coming? When's He coming? I can't wait. Our prayers every day should be, Lord, come today. But we all know why He doesn't. Because every day He waits is another day that some other lost soul can accept Him as their Savior. He doesn't want to see one single person perish and go to hell. So He waits. And we live this life expecting Him to return at any time. And He waits because there's always one more. One more. And what's more important, you and I living another day in this world of, of sin? Or is it more important that one more soul goes to heaven? Our expectancy of Him coming back, every day we should be waiting for it. Every day we should be anticipating it. We should be hoping for it. We should be looking in the sky waiting to hear that trumpet blow. Our expectancy of His return. Because you know, those who are, who are following Jesus, those who have, are molding their lives around Jesus, those who are allowing the Holy Spirit to, to change them and turn them into what God wants you to be, man, we're looking forward to Him coming back. But for the ones who aren't, for the ones who don't know Him, or, or those that j just they know Him, but they just think, well, I've got plenty of time. I'm just going to keep living my life and I'll get it done before I die. They don't want to see that happen. Because whether you're uh, an atheist, a non-believer, no matter what your faith is, one day we're all going to stand before God in judgment. See, I think in the back of all these minds of people who don't believe in Jesus Christ, I think in the back of their minds they know. And they don't want to meet Him yet. Not face to face anyway. They don't want to meet Him in this life either because, hey, it's my life. I can do what I want to with it, right? I'm not going to worry about, about that until the time comes. When's the time coming? How many of you right now this morning can guarantee that you're going to make it home safe? Can guarantee that you're still going to be here for next Sunday to hear another sermon? We can't. We can't. See, when you're living your life like that, you don't want to see Jesus come back because you know what's coming. You know what's coming. See, the way we look at His coming back defines our standing in Him. So I'd ask you, how about you this morning? If He came back right now, are you ready? Are you ready to stand before judgment and Jesus stand up and say, He's mine? Or are you not sure? Maybe you've never taken that step. Maybe you think, I've got a whole lifetime to make that decision. 
Maybe on my deathbed, I'll do that. That'd be great if we all knew exactly when we was going to die. We could plan it out. We don't know that. Where do you stand with him this morning? How do you look at his returning right now? Does your life bear these four marks of someone chosen by God? There's only two people know the answer to those questions, you and God. And only one of you can do anything about it, and that's you. Let's all stand. I know some people hear a sermon like this, and they think he's just trying to to convince us that we need to get down front because it looks good on the pastor. Don't look good on me at all, guys. What looks good on you is when the blood of Christ is over you. If you don't have that relationship with Him this morning, get it now. Because you don't know if you'll have another opportunity. The altar is open. We'll wait just a minute and then we'll close in prayer. Bow your heads and Ask yourself, hey, if you're sure about all this and you know you're there, then praise God. But if you have any doubts, the only way to get those doubts settled is before God. Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, we come knowing that you are our Lord and Savior. We come knowing, Lord, that you are our only hope for eternal life. Lord God, my prayer this morning is if there is anyone here who doesn't know for sure, that, Lord, you put it on their hearts. Lord, that you, you put it on there so hard that they can't, they can't shake it, Lord, that they can't get rid of it. Lord God, until, until they come to terms with you, Lord, Lord, that it just be an irritant to them that they don't know you the way they should. Father, go with us from here. Lord God, let us be contagious this week. Lord, let us go at it and Lord, let your grace and your glory flow from us so, so much, Lord God, that everyone we come in contact with, Lord, will, will walk away feeling that they've been blessed just being in your presence. Lord, let us be contagious. Let us love without question. Let us forgive, Lord. Let us not judge those around us. Let us accept who are we come in contact with and exactly where they are. Trusting that you, Lord, will lift them up. Lord, you are our Savior, our God. You are our all in all. And we come to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.